Alrighty, everybody, welcome back. It is me again, Tavis Killian, here bringing you another episode of Monday Madness. Today is Thursday. Yeah, I know, a little bit different. Just trying to get these recordings out of the way ahead of time. I'm recording this on a Thursday because I will be gone come Monday, October 19th, and this will be the episode you get. And uh, by the time you listen to this, man, I am having just a fantastic trip right now. Headed out to Arizona to do some canyoneering, walk around, hike a bit, have some fun. So I am very stoked, and I hope your Monday is hopefully just as fun as mine is right now. But if I do miss anything, that is probably the reason, because, well, if something happens between Friday afternoon and, well, before I get back, you're probably not going to hear about it, so I'm going to give you the best of the news for the end of this week. But come on, you didn't come here to listen to me brag about my kick-ass adventures. I know, and I'll stop rubbing it in your face, and we'll jump immediately into some statistics. So, first, WTI price, it's been a pretty crazy week. It bounced as low as 39.50, although it has also been as high as 41.22. Big swings, huge swings throughout the week. But as we have grown accustomed to at this point, about a $40 average, so nothing new there. Rig count, well, that's going to be the same as the last episode because Baker Hughes doesn't release their data until about noon on Friday. So we're still at 269, which is up three from the last week, but we're still down 587 on the year. Although we have been seeing lots of rig count increases, prices that have changed between the months of August and September, primarily those dips into 39, high 38 range that scared a few people, will likely alter the trajectory of the rig count in the coming months. Then again, big developments on inventories might say otherwise. What am I talking about? I'm talking about another big draw. So, the API estimated that there was a 5.4 million barrel drawdown. Yeah! which is just two times more than the estimated for that time period. I say just two times, but really, double what they estimated is pretty damn good. The EIA reported similarly large numbers at about 3.8 million, and everyone's rejoicing. The last drawdown we had that was a little bit bigger than a million barrels was the 9 million barrel drawdown a little over a month ago. Seems like things are correcting themselves, and time will show just how the industry chooses to respond to these big drawdowns. But that's enough of those metrics. Let's jump into our stories for the week. You know I love to talk about the high school lunch table drama, gossip, whatever you want to call it, centered around mergers and acquisitions. So the last big one we saw was between Devin and WPX, who finally, well, didn't finalize the merger, but finalized the details leading up to it. But I've got juicy new relationship gossip, if you haven't heard yet. The two companies in question, ConocoPhillips and Concho. Now, the past few mergers we've talked about have been pretty transparent, but this is a deal from the shadows, and it may not be a merger at all. What I'm getting at is that both companies have refused to make comment and say that what you are hearing is nothing but rumors. Regardless, the rumor entails that Conoco would gobble up Concho in the newest M&A deal. Whether or not it's a rumor, Concho's stock went up 1.7%, and Conoco's stock soared 13% Wednesday of last week. If anyone is in a good position to acquire another company... It's definitely ConocoPhillips. Not only are they a super major, but they have clutched their pocketbooks a little bit tighter than the average bear. In 2016, well, I had just graduated high school, and oil prices began to rise to the $40-$50 range, but don't worry, this didn't influence my decision. I really just like oil and gas. Most companies saw this as an opportunity to grow, and by grow I actually mean spend money recklessly. ConocoPhillips did anything but that, and has a strong enough balance sheet today 
to make this acquisition possible. Additionally, investors may be supportive of the move as they have been citing concerns over ConocoPhillips in regards to its lack of Permian plays. Concho is plenty of Permian property. <laughs> plenty of Permian property. Big fans of alliteration here at Monday Madness. But these properties could put the minds of investors at ease. Also, Conoco is looking to expand into areas like Canada and Alaska, so gaining some Permian property would likely also ease the minds of the investors. Now, this seems like it would be a good deal for Conoco, but is it a good deal for Concho? Well, at one time, some would say no, because Concho used to be the big dog in the Permian. In 2018, they went ahead and bought RSP Permian for $9.5 billion, adding to their Permian footprint. Just how big? Well, that brought them up to 640,000 acres. That acquisition left Concho as the biggest and largest driller in the Permian, with 27 rigs up at one time. But that was 2018. That was a bit different from today. Currently, they sit at a bit under $4 billion in debt as of the end of Q2 of this year, not Q3, which leaves them leveraged at about 40%. Surely they have some solid assets that would be safe for the next foreseeable future, right? Well, 20% of their wells are on federal land, and the election could decide whether or not those opportunities could be expanded. Either way, I'd wager it's a bit more than a rumor, and I'll think we'll see an offer soon. And uh, <laughs> I'd really like to see the name of, I don't know, they'll probably want to preserve everything, but I think Concho Phillips should be in the running. But that's all I got for that story. And next up, I'd like to take us over to Southeast Asia. So the Philippines lifted a ban on oil exploration in the South China Sea. Now this ban dates back to 2016, but disputes over territorial claims between China and the Philippines have been going on for way longer than that. Although one would be inclined to believe that China owns the South China Sea, it actually extends quite a ways out into other territories, and China is not afraid to push those boundaries. The Philippines put their foot down in 2016 and took China to court through the UN's International Court of Justice. The court, well, they sided with the Philippines and told China to back off. Hate to break it to you, but China did not back off. China has now claimed over 90% of the South China Sea as its own, which puts it at odds with not only the Philippines at this point, but also Vietnam, Taiwan, Brunei, and Malaysia. In the time after the trial, the new and current president of the Philippines has been arranging a joint exploration deal since 2018. Finally, in 2020, we see the ban on oil and gas activity in the South China Sea around the Philippines get lifted, although China still argues that their claims of mineral rights over the basin extend over, well, extend over the entire basin. This is going to be a hairy one to work through still, and the whole ordeal just kind of sounds fishy to me. I wouldn't be surprised if it came out that the current Filipino president, Rodrigo Duterte, was accepting payment from Chinese government for the forfeiture of rights in this deep sea field. But hey, that's just my speculation. Moving on to the last story, we'll keep things in that general neck of the woods over on that side of the planet, and we'll take it to Russia. At the moment, most Russian companies are making plans to significantly lower drilling activity in 2021. The main concern cited is a suppressed demand that they expect will last through at least 2021. Some are speculating that the short-term drilling limit is a good thing, as it could quite possibly reflect the idea that this is only temporary. You know, limit production now, bump it up later when prices are higher. Just makes sense. But... Russian Energy Minister Alexander Novak does think that demand should recover to pre-pandemic levels by the second quarter of next year. 
This is comparatively a much more aggressive estimate than most other people are making. And one of the biggest concerns for the Russians actually revolves around OPEC and maybe not necessarily their demand. Just exactly how much does OPEC plan to continue cutting? By an earlier timeline, the organization would have been relaxing the 7.7 million barrel per day cut by now. But rumor has it that Saudi Arabia is considering extending these cuts all the way to December of this year. Russian Energy Minister Novak does not support this idea. He was reported saying, quote, Currently, despite the second wave of the pandemic in a number of countries, my colleagues and I continue to be optimistic and expect we can gradually raise production, as per the agreement, without harming the market. Either way, all players involved will have to wait and see how the rest of the world reacts to the second wave of infections that is starting to make its way through some other countries. But that draws this, uh, <laughs> this premeditated episode of Monday Madness to a close. Like I said, this was recorded on Thursday, so big apologies if something happened while I was gone and you didn't get to hear about it. If that's the case, then I'd probably direct you to either Rare Petro's LinkedIn page or rarepetro.com, where we are always covering current events and content. Now, if I miss it, there is no chance that the rest of our organization did. So, be sure to go to rarepetro.com for that juicy information I've just mentioned, plenty of other podcasts, plenty of periodicals, and we offer other services outside of just the content we create. So get yourself in the know, learn and grow with us, and until we see you next time, take care, everybody.